You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. Thanks so much for being here, for squeezing in, and uh, just kind of it's, it's every Sunday morning is like a fun adventure uh, when you're when you're like a part of a church plant and uh, it's growing and people are coming back. And so thanks so much for being here. Uh, and so if I don't know you, my name's Brian. Uh, glad to have you here. Uh, we're moving into uh, a new series, which kind of came out of our uh, all of our kind of summer series that we were having and uh, now progressing into the fall. It's kind of the pace of the city is coming back to itself. And, uh, and so we're moving into uh, a series called uh, Alternative Community. Now, he- here's what I think about this particular series, uh, and we're going to be in, in this together for a few weeks, uh, I think that this series of, of really any series that we've done um, will be a defining type of few weeks together. Uh, like it will, in this space, the things that we're going to be talking about in terms of how do we live as an alternative community in the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. We'll be talking about it here. Uh, we'll be talking about it in uh, house churches. We'll be gathering around that idea as well. Our small, like It will be kind of pervasive all throughout our church with this idea of how do we live as an alternative community. Now, one of the things, right, is I'm kind of just been serving kind of our cultural moment that we find ourselves in. Uh, one of the things that's become really, really, really obvious uh, is how vastly and how quickly things have changed. Like if you were to just, let's just think back um, two, three, four, five, I don't know, like eight, nine to 10 years, right? Even eight years, let's just go back eight years. And if you were to kind of survey our kind of culture over the last eight years, the, the acceleration of change has been dizzying. Like it's been head numbing. Like it, the, the speed at which it, it feels like everything has just kind of been changing. Like people have changed. The, the, the way that we um, interact with one another has changed. Our values have changed. Our goals have changed. The, the leaders have changed. Like the people that are traditionally would be seen as leaders have changed. The political discourse has changed. Like, like everything, if you're just kind of surveying it all and you're going, man, there's been so much within the last just kind of few years in our cultural moment that, that it's, it's been in rapid speed. So much so that it's hard to keep up. It's hard to just kind of navigate, okay, what's, what's, what's like the cultural norm now and what's not the cultural norm? What's acceptable and what's not acceptable? Like what's going to get me canceled and what's not going to get me canceled? Right? We're all like trying to navigate like, okay, it's like a, a, a math problem, an equation. I'm trying to figure out how do, I just, how do I just navigate this kind of cultural moment? This is where we found ourselves in. Now, that's just culture in general, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But let's talk about it from a faith standpoint because we're a faith people. We're a faith community, right? We're, we're, we're Jesus people. And, and so how has that changed for us? Well, kind of here's what we know. And, and I do want to preference this. So um, the majority of things that, that I'm, I'm going to mention in this moment and a lot of what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks together is Christianity in the West. So I always want to be very, um, very specific in that thought. Uh, that I, we're going to be looking at Christianity in the West because we find ourselves in the West. Now, Christianity is thriving 
in the Middle East. It's thriving in Africa. It's thriving in Asia. Like it, it is thriving uh, in in all kinds of different areas. And and they there's different kind of um, uh, different kind of boundaries and, and difficulties and challenges that they're dealing with. But I want to primarily talk about Christianity in the West because that's where kind of we find ourselves. Now we know that each generation uh, statistically is becoming less religious and less Christian. Like we know that all the studies that we can see, um, more than two thirds of the churches in the United States have plateaued or they're in uh, decline. What, what was at one point seen as a social good, the, the church, right? Or, or, or maybe just benign, right? Like it's like, it's whatever, is increasingly more and more not seen as a social good, not seen as just benign, but actually seen as dangerous. Like we're in a, in a cultural moment now where people see the church as a bad thing and even, even a major obstacle for social change. People are sitting around thinking about a certain social change and the equation that one of the barriers to that particular social change, whatever it is, in a lot of ways and many times sees the church as an opponent to that. More and more what's happening. Now, this is not on this, this is not on a street level, right? Like I'm I've yet to run into a neighbor and I've been like, hey, I'm a pastor, I lead a, a, a church, you know, and it's like, what kind of church? And I'm like, I don't even know how to define what kind of church, but like, let me just a Jesus church, like a Christian church, like a you know what I mean? I'm trying to figure out how to answer that question. And they probably don't want all of that that I just gave them in that moment. Uh, but rarely have I had that conversation. Someone's like, I hate you, dude get out of my face, right? That's, that's just not, that's like, that's not, you know, that's just not gonna usually happen, right? And I'm an 80 on the Enneagram. I'm an 80 on the Enneagram. So if that did happen, I'd be ready to go. All right. So it's not happening necessarily at an individual level, but it is happening at an institutional level. Well, there's a very real movement, and some of you are at educational institutions where this is, this is like very much a true thing. This is very much a true thought. It's, it is there, like it is underneath it, that the church, the Christian church, is a legitimate enemy to social change. That, that it's, it, it's moving in the direction of Christians are a dangerous people. That's, that's where we're going. That, that's like the direction that we're moving in. And, and we have to recognize that and see that as a very real reality. That the cultural moment that we're in now, the church's influence and perspective has drastically changed. Now we're in Boston, so man, we know that, man. We're informed, right? We're educated. Like we get it, we, we understand it. And so how do we, here's the question that we're gonna be addressing over the next few weeks together. How, how do we, as a, as a Christ-following people, live as an alternative community in the city of Boston, in New England? Like, how do we do it in a way that's healthy, that's operating in such a way that is, um, that is good? Okay, um, so this is going to date me a little bit, but let me kind of give you just like a physical picture. I think maybe this will be helpful as we're thinking about the series together. So go ahead and throw that slide up. Um, does anybody remember these Wendy's commercials? 
Yeah, these commercials were like epic, right? I still think about these. So this was probably um, this was probably ten years ago. So let me set it up for you. Uh, so you have this gentleman here. Uh, he is wearing a red uh, wig. He's supposed to be Wendy. I don't. know. Is that her name, Wendy? Okay. So he's he's got this on. And if you if you are watching this commercial, you can see lots of crowds of people. But let me just set up. So basically, the commercial is they're all kind of running like this, like very mechanically, and they're running into this giant hole. Like I, I was watching it this weekend. I was like, this is actually dark. Like this is pretty dark commercial for you. No way you're getting away with this now. Right. So anyway, so they're running and they're just falling into this hole. I don't know where it goes, the upside down world. I'm not sure. It's just, it's, they're all going to somewhere and you can hear the inner dialogue of this guy going, what are we doing? And he's kind of like, he's like, I don't, why am I go like, what, why am I going this way? And it's like, like it's Christian, like it's building. Right. And he's like, I, I want a freshly grilled burger. You know what I mean? He's like, I, I don't want a burger that's been sitting under a lamplight for hours and hours. Like, well, this is madness. What are we doing, right? This like metaphor, like the whole is like, all these people are eating burgers that aren't freshly grilled. You know what I mean? They're all under the lamp. Like that's the picture, right? All you creative people, you're like, I got it. Those of you that aren't creative, you're like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. All right, so, and then what happens in the commercial is he like, he's like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I want freshly grilled burgers, right? And I want them right now. And so he like turns around and, and you, again, this inner dialogue is going, he's turned around and then he starts like, you know, getting people alongside of him. And they're all like, we want freshly grilled burgers as well. Like we, we don't want the lamplight thing. No, we want freshly junior bacon cheeseburger situation. And the commercial's like, he turns the crowd, not everyone, but there's just a small group of authentic, genuine, fresh burger people. They're like, we're going to live differently. We're going to do it differently. This is, uh, this is like a physical picture of what it's going to look like. As it, please take that away because I will just, it will be so distracting for me. Um, some of you are already like, I want a junior bacon cheeseburger. I want it now. All right. Um, they used to be 99 cents, by the way, just, just so you know. All right. This is what the calling, I think, um, in a lot of ways, this is the calling among God's people. Uh, to be a people that recognize the cultural moment that we find ourselves in, and at the same time recognizing it, responding with courage. To, to say like, okay, I can see where the cultural tide is moving. Like I can see it. We should observe it. Like we should be like intellectually, we should have some integrity there to be like, okay, I see where the kind of cultural moment is going. And, and, and some of that aligns with scripture and some of that doesn't align with scripture. Like some of that I'm for and I'm gonna go with and, and I'm about, that, that aligns with the way of Jesus. And then there are other things where like, that does not align with the way of Jesus. I cannot get on board with that. This is what it means to live as an alternative community in the, in the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. How, how, do we, um, how do we exactly uh, do this. Okay, so, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at, so Peter's going to identify who we are to be as a people, and then just a few kind of uh, Grace City specific things. So if you have a Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter 2, uh, 9 through 10. I just want to look at, uh, briefly kind of look at this scripture that uh, Peter's going to give us. Peter was an early uh, New Testament letter, kind of rough around the edges guy. He was a disciple of Jesus and um, became uh, an early leader in the Christian church. And uh, he, he gave this, this letter um, to God's people, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Let me pray for us, then we'll, we'll dive into the scripture. God, we thank you um, that you are communicating and have communicated something to us. And so would you just help us this morning as we try and gather around uh, 
this? Would you change us as a result of reading the scriptures? Uh, would you more and more form us into a people that look like you, uh, into individuals that look like you? Uh, help us to grasp um, what you're trying to communicate in this scripture with, with Peter. What does it mean to be your people? What does it mean to be your church? What does it mean to be your community defined by you? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. First Peter 2, this is 9 and 10. Uh, he says this. He says, but you are a chosen race. So he's talking to us. And he's going to allude to a lot of Old Testament kind of images here. But he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. Okay, so let's work our way through this. What type of community has God called us to be? A couple of things he says here. The first one that he says is that we're to be a people uh, who are a chosen uh, race. Now, the, the the biblical kind of understanding of this word, it is a little bit different, but basically saying you are to be a chosen people group. That's who, who you're to be. Like you are going to be God's people and you're going to be his people group. Now, if we were to think about kind of regionally, let's think about people group, right? So what makes a people group a people group? Well, it is a distinct way of living. Um, it is a, a distinct type of value. Uh, it's habits. Um, it is kind of uh, their environment. It's, it's, if you were gonna identify and work towards, okay, this is a distinct people group, you would do that. It's more than just, um, it's, it's more than just um, uh, region, although that's really important. It's more than just look, although that's really important, but it's, it's a set of like values, habits and formations. And so Peter says that the church, God's people, are now a chosen people group, that you will find yourself as a people group among other people. You'll have distinct values and traits and habits that are defined not by the group, but are defined by God. So he says, I've chosen you to be a people group. The second thing that he says is he says you're to be a royal priesthood. Now, in the Old Testament, a, a priest was the mediator between God and the people. So if the people wanted to know what God thought, they went to the priest. If they, they wanted to know the law, they went to the priest, and the priest would communicate uh, on behalf of God to the people. The, the priest would actually bring the sacrifices uh, in the, um, at, at the holiest of holies in the altar and would, would, would do that. One of the reasons that Jesus so railed against the religious leaders of his day, one of the reasons he got so upset with the, the priest of his day is because they were incorrectly imaging God to everyone around them. They had developed a system and a program that didn't look like the system, program, the relationship that God was after. And so that's why Jesus shows up on the scene. He's like, you, you adulterous people, you villains, you like just these extremely kind of, uh, the, these words, it's like, man, he's going at them. The reason is that they had not only failed at their role to rightly represent God, but they were actually turning people away from God. And so he says, what does it mean to be a community of God's people in the way of Jesus? What well, means now you are a royal priesthood. You have access to God through Jesus. You don't need a priest or a pastor. 
You, you are to uh, uh, be this one who is showing what God is like to the world around you. He said, this is what the community of God's people is like. So he says, you're a chosen people group, your priesthood. The third thing that he says, um, he says that you are a people of his possession. Now, I love this, right? He says, you are a possessed people. Now, not possessed like in a horror movie possessed, right? Although some of you are like, I know some possessed Christians, right? Um, that's another, you know, another topic for another day. Um, he says, no, you are, you belong to God. So if something is in your possession, right, you determine its value. You determine its, its, its worth. Like that's, that's in your possession, right? Like you, you determine its function. Like that, that is what you do. It is your possession, right? That's why some of you like have possessions that you value. And I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you pay that, right? And you're like, well, so, so cool, it's NFT. All right, so like this is what we do, right? And he says, you are no longer, you are no longer your own. Like you don't belong to yourself anymore, when you say yes to Jesus, yes, he gives you new life. Yes, he gives you freedom from addictive um, habits and sin patterns. Yes, he does all of that. But you also now belong to God. Your life is not your own. It's why when we say we're a Christian, we have to, along with that, say, my possessions are no longer primarily just mine. My gifts are no longer primarily just mine. My resources, my time, my children, my spouse, my relationships are no longer primarily mine. They belong to God, to, for God to determine and decide what he wants to do with these things. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what it means to be in community with one another as a people saying, I belong to God. I'm his possession. So he says, you are a possession of, of God's people. He determines your value, and he has determined your value. He moves on, and he says, um, so that you can proclaim the praises of the one. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in the, this idea of a holy nation that he talks about. I don't think it's, we'll get to that in other weeks, this idea of what it means to be holy. But he says, you're going to, you do this so that you can proclaim. We'll get back to that at the bottom. Verse 10, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So he says, at one time you were a people scattered, but now you are God's people. Once you had values that were very different from one another, your backgrounds are very different from one another. You come from, um, your, your family dynamics are vastly different. Your cultural kind of norms that you grew up in are vastly different than other people's kind of cultural norms, right? He says, we're taking all of these people from these scattered people and now making them a people. Peter says, this is what it means to be an alternative community. This is what it means to be a people following the way of Jesus. Now, Okay, so if that, this is the identifier for us. So there's traditionally two approaches to culture. And we've, we've talked about this some, but it, it bears repeating. Um, and so there's typically like two approaches we're thinking about um, because the idea is how do we be an alternative community in our cultural moment, right? 
And so there tends to be two approaches to culture that, that we traditionally have ten, tended to take. And so I want to think about this on like a large scale as a church. This is how I tend to think about it. But I also want you to think about it on an individual level. So as we're thinking about this kind of linear line, I want you to kind of determine as we're talking about this, okay, maybe where do I fall as I think about how I relate to the culture? So there's traditionally two um, approaches that, that we tend to take. Well, and let me define culture. So um, culture is basically, let me, if we were going to conceive it narrowly, this is how we would conceive culture. Uh, it would be like um, language, music, art, food, folk customs, like all, all these things kind of create uh, culture that, that we're in. So it's a distinct thing that we can see and that we can understand uh, as we're as we're looking at. It's kind of everything that's made up. Uh, there's two kind of approaches that we tend to take as we think about the culture of the world that we're operating in. Uh, the first approach is what we call an over-adapt we over-adapt to the culture. And, and this means that you only appreciate the culture. Like you, you only love the cultural moment that you're in. And so you're just like, this is, this like, this is great. Like, like it's just, this is fantastic. This is amazing. Now, the problem with over-adapting, with, um, uh, with only affirming the culture, is that you'll never see change in the lives of people because you'll never call people to change. See that? Like if, if you want to experience the transforming work of the gospel in the lives of people around you, which I do, sign me up. One of the things that will be necessary is calling people to change. And if you over adapt and only appreciate the culture, you'll never see it. Because you'll look just like the culture around you whatever the cultural norm of the day is, whatever the cultural value of the day is, you're like, yes, I'm with that. I'm going for that. See that? That's a danger that we have as a people is to over-adapt to the culture. We'll, we'll never get to uh, really see change. This is why Paul, um, in his letter to the Romans, literally Paul says, do not conform. Like, be careful not to conform to the age that you find yourself in. He says, don't conform to it. Like there will be a tendency to conform to the age that you're in. This is what Paul is saying. He says, don't do it. Don't conform to it. Don't look so much like the world that any distinct call to live differently is only going to be, is only going to bring about cries of hypocrisy and duplicity. What are you talking about, dude? I see your life. Where are you at on that? Are you like, man, I'm, I look. I look too much like the culture. I look too much like my coworkers or my um, uh, my colleagues or my classmates or what teammates, whatever, whatever you find yourself. I look too much like them. And then the other end of the spectrum. So if that's over adapt, the other end of the spectrum is to under adapt. This is to only challenge the culture. It's to only kind of rally against the culture. Now, it, the problem with that is if you only challenge the culture, you'll never see change in the life of people around you because they will not want to hear from you, right? Like they just won't. Like they'll just be like, not interested. You'll come off as confusing. You'll come off as offensive. Uh, and, and really just at ground level, um, you'll just be really unpersuasive. Like, think about the way that Jesus did um, uh, ministry and community in the first century, right? 
Like Jesus was at dinner parties. He was at weddings. Uh, he, he was hanging out with people who, who culturally you just wouldn't get around. Uh, like, like this is just, he, he wasn't in like a Jewish temple and be like, bring everyone to the Jewish temple and come see me. Make sure they clean up. Make sure they're all like, they have the right kind of dynamic and the right look and the right, they've done everything necessary. And then bring the people to me in the temple. That's not what Jesus did. He was out and about. He, he was so much so, I, I love this, um, I love this, this like uh, challenge against Jesus. Like apparently Jesus was so much out, like he so enjoyed like being out with the people and eating and drinking that they called him what? A glutton and a drunk. You don't call someone a glutton and a drunk if they're just hanging out in the temple. They're saying that because they're seeing Jesus be out and about with the people. And, and so if we, if we are on this side of the spectrum, we're like, we under doubt, we're only like railing against the system and railing against the cultural moment, you won't see change because no one will want to listen to you. Now, the problem, here's the problem, right? The problem is if we swing from one side or if we get too much on one side or too much on the other side, like the, the problem is when we do that, we, we will lose some of the life-changing witness, some of our life-changing witness of the gospel in the world around us. It's somewhere in the, the kind of the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle. So we have to think about that. We have to think about it on an individual level. I think about it as a church level all the time, right? I'm like, okay, if someone comes in, do we look too much like the culture? Like, I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm like, do, you know, is it too this? Or is it, is it like, uh, you know, and then I'm like, do we, are we, you know, are we over here? Do we feel like we just hate the cultural moment that we're in and we're too different? And if someone walks in and they don't know Jesus, are they going to feel just so kind of confused and out of there that they have no idea? Right? I mean, just always thinking about, okay, where are we, where are we at on the spectrum? Where do we find that kind of that God honoring kind of sweet spot in the middle? Because if we're going to be an alternative community, we can't under adapt or over adapt. We can't look too much like the culture, but we also can't overchallenge the culture. We're trying to find that middle ground. This is in a lot of ways what we want to do over the next few weeks together as we kind of address various things that we're going to be looking at. What is the role and the responsibility of God's people? Like, what is it? What is our, our job? Because there's a lot of things that we could think about and do, but what is it? Now, Jesus... Um, so Jesus, uh, he was on his way, uh, he was ascending to the Father, and um, Jesus gave something that has now been, been known, the Great Commission, right? And so if you grew up in church, you've probably heard that before. And, and so I want us to, we're going to look at that, what's become known as the Great Commission, but I want us to think about it through this lens, right? Because sometimes, especially if you're like a church kid, if you grew up in church, uh, you have like songs for the Great Commission, right? Like you could just rail off whatever. Uh, and, and so I do just want to say, like, when Jesus was saying these words that we're going to look at in a moment, they had never heard them before. So it wasn't like Jesus said, hey, go. And they're like, I got it, Jesus. Go make, therefore, uh, go make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and Spirit. Got it. They'd never heard this before. This was fresh to them. I want you to think about it through that lens, right? All right, Matthew 28. Jesus is gonna give the, the responsibility of the church, these men and women. He's gonna say, and this is what I want you to do. Verse 18, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I love the way that he starts. 
So Jesus is going to say, hey, I'm going to give you your role and responsibility. I'm leaving. I'm going to give you your role and responsibility. And he goes, oh, by the way, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. He's like, there's not a square inch on the earth. And there's not a, 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 I don't even know, how do we give dimensions of heaven, right? There's not an area, there's not a space in heaven that I don't have authority over. And so he's gonna give them a really difficult and challenging responsibility and command. He's gonna give us a really challenging and difficult uh, command. And he's just gonna say on the front end, with kindness, with a sense of encouragement, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Because I'll be honest, like I look at the cultural moment that I'm in and I'm just thinking about it. I'm having conversations with neighbors. I'm having conversations with some of you. And like my, I'm, I'm just looking at the cultural norms of the day and the systems of the day. And my anxiety level just like is, is through the roof. I'm like, how is this going to work? You know what I mean? It's like, Jesus, are you sure? Like, did you, are you sure you know, like you understand? You don't, do you know 2022? He's like, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Everything. I exert authority over everything. So he says, remember that. I have authority. There's no, no political structure, no social structure I, that, that governs me. I have authority over it all. So he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, verse 19. So he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, verse 20, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, th this is, man, this is so easy. Well, let me say this. It's easy in theory, not in practice. Like, what is the role and the responsibility of God's people? Like, like what is it? If, if, if we're looking at it, like, what is it? Is our role and responsibility to understand and parse every cultural norm? I mean, I think that's important. I think we should look at the cultural norms. We should be able to, like, understand those and, and parse those things out. Like, is our responsibility to, to bring our divided political system together, to, to bring about a type of political unity? Uh, I mean, that would be great. If someone has ideas, I would love to hear that. Right? I think all of us, for the most part, are, are they call it the, the exhausted majority. Like, we're all pretty tired. Is that our role and responsibility as God's people? Like, are we supposed to step into the culture wars of our day? Right? Like, to arm ourselves in the culture wars of the day. Like, let's, let's, let's arm ourselves to ensure God's ethic is, is, is continuing forward. I'm not sure. I do know, based on what Jesus says here in Matthew 28, that we have a responsibility and that we have a role to play. And the responsibility and role that we have to play is Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. Now, what was a disciple? A disciple was someone following the teachings of the one who is in front of them. So he says, here's what I want you to do. Go out to the city of Boston, to your school, your work, wherever you find yourself. And he says, talk about and live the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the, the scriptures. Li live these things out, like talk to people about them. 
do that. Be, be someone who's doing that. That's what it means to make disciples. He says, baptize. I call people to this public confession. He's saying, call people to public confession that I belong to Jesus. This is who I belong to. Teach them. Do these things. That is our responsibility. Now, we're going to look at, and you'll see it at the end because I'll just briefly run through it. We're going to look at the, the rampant individualism of our day. We'll look at the political hostility of the day. We'll, we'll look at the, the cultural idolatry of the day. We'll look at all those things. We'll look at our role in those things. But at the end of the day, Jesus says, tell people, like, go and make disciples. Teach them. Remind them. So how do we do this? Okay, um, let me give you distinctly how we do this at Grace City. Uh, a lot of you are new and, and some of you aren't new. And so if you've been here for a while uh, and you've heard these before, I'm sure you have them memorized. I'm sure they're posted on your mirror in your bathroom and you meditate on them day and night. But let me give you these again. These are the, the values of our church. These are the driving factors of our church. Really kind of base level stuff. Uh, keep it real simple this morning. And, and so these are the three things. We want to be a people that do these three things. We want to be a people that live the way of Jesus, that faithfully are living the way of Jesus. We want to be a people that are pursuing radical belonging. We'll talk about all, all these briefly in a moment. And then we want to be a people that are cultivating a lasting movement. Living the way of Jesus, pursuing radical belonging, cultivating a lasting movement. So living the way of Jesus. Um, I think Jesus is the single greatest individual to ever walk the face of the earth. I have met very, I'm trying to think if I've met anyone. I don't know that I've ever been in an environment, a setting where I'm like, uh, I'm someone following the way of Jesus and someone's like, Jesus, huh? I hate that dude. Like I, like I just, I, like honestly, even people that don't adhere to Christianity, like they can get behind Jesus. Like, no, Jesus, I like, right? What um, was it Gandhi that was like, uh, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians, right? I'm for Jesus, but I'm not for your Jesus followers. Like there's like, people can get behind Jesus. His teachings were revolutionary. They were radical. He was breaking down all kinds of destructive patterns and, and, and habits and cultural norms of his day elevating the marginalized and women, like doing unreal stuff. People were like, yes to Jesus. And so we're like, you know what? We're just gonna take our cues from Jesus. We're gonna seek to live in his way. If I'm talking to someone, I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm just trying to live in the way of Jesus. I know there's all kinds of you know, baggage that comes along with whatever else, but I'm just saying, we wanna be a people living the way of Jesus. We wanna mimic what he values, we want to value. The way he lives, we want to live. The way that he talks, we want to talk. We want to live pursuing the kingdom of God because Jesus lived pursuing the kingdom of God. We want to sacrificially give of ourselves because Jesus sacrificially gave of himself. This is the way of Jesus. The implications of that are vast. We're a work in progress, but this is, this is the type of people um, that we want to be, a people that are just, I mean, think about the first century, right? What did they do? They were so mesmerized by the life and teachings of Jesus. The only thing they knew to do was to organize around the life and teachings of Jesus. They were so changed by it. They were so mesmerized. They were like, okay, 
I guess we'll organize around his life and teachings and we'll see where that goes. Here we are. Here we are. It's the life of Jesus. The second thing um, is that we want to pursue radical belonging. We have a ridiculous, this is, we've, statistically we know it's true. We have a ridiculous uh, loneliness problem in our world. Crazy. Like the stats on it, we can get all into it. But the, there's a very real reality that we are currently the most connected generation through technology, through social media, all those types of things. And to the most connected and at the same time, the loneliest, the most isolated. It's just true. Statistically, it's just true. There's a real opportunity and a real calling for God's people to be the type of people that says, hey, you belong here. Not, not based on um, what you can bring to this community, not based on whether you check the boxes that we need you to check, um, the boxes that you have the resources that we need, that you have the look that we need. You are welcomed into this community. Come on in. There's belonging. Now, we, we use all, all, all the words that we use are on purpose, right? Some of you are like, bro, you got to remove radical from your value statement. <laughs> you know, but you cannot, do not put that in, in your values at Boston. I'm like, ah, you know what? I'm just going to leave it. We'll just see what happens. And so it's intentional, right? We're like, pursue radical belonging. I mean, this is, this is the call, right? It's not wait on radical belonging, like this takes work, right? It's not like sit back and wait. We're gonna, let's, let's do this as a church. Let's get, let's wait on radical belonging to happen. No, it's pursue, it's go after, it's do the hard work, right? It's gather together, it's organize the schedules, it's make the time, it's prioritize. Radical, now why is it radical? It's radical because if you were to walk around this room and chat with people, you would find people very different than yourself. And you would find people that would disagree with you probably on a multitude of different things. And you're still called to love them, care for them, and sacrificially give of yourself for them. That's radical, man. Our world does not understand that. Third thing, third final thing, is to cultivate a lasting movement. Uh, my wife and I, in 2018, we moved here uh, in January of 2018. So we thought the, the, the dead of winter would be the greatest time, the best time to move to New England. And we moved here with a few other people uh, with the dream and a desire to uh, plant a church. That's what we're called. We're called a church plant, if you're not familiar with that. And we were like, hey, we're called to build God's church in Boston. We don't, I, I have no idea how to do that, right? Not a clue. No one on our team, none of us knew how to, like, we just know that God's called us to do that. We're called to plant other churches. Like, I have a genuine desire to see New England transformed. Like, I, like, I want to be a part of something that outlasts Grace City. I'll ask our church. Like I'm, I'm tired of seeing the, the statistics that talk about the spiritual darkness of the Northeast. Like I'm tired of it. And so God's called collectively, 
called his community, called us, called our church uh, to be a part of a lasting movement, to actually see um, a legitimate change of God, a movement of God happen in Boston. Now, it won't be because our worship's really awesome, although I think they're great. Matt's voice is like an angel. Um, it won't be because we have great teaching, although that's important. It won't be because we have great programs, although those are important. Like, it won't be because we have a great building, because we kind of don't. It'll be a legitimate move of God because we just collectively say to God, we want to be a part of it. We want to see you move. And so this is what we want to be as a people. This is what we want to be as an alternative community in the city of Boston. So where we go in the next few weeks, um, let me close it out this way. Just so you know, here's where we're going to be going. And uh, you can follow along uh, and determine which one you want to come to and not come to. So let me give them to you. Uh, we want to be a couple of things, a community of, and then we'll, we'll roll into them. We want to be a community of loving relationships in a culture of individualism. We want to be a community of orthodoxy in a culture of ideological idolatry. We want to be a community of hospitality in a culture of political hostility. We want to be a community of contribution in a culture of accumulation. We want to be a community of peace in a culture of outrage and fear. We want to be a community of holiness in a culture of moral, moral relativism. We want to be a community of rest in a culture of exhaustion. And we want to be a community of justice in a culture of polarization. So we're going super easy stuff. Super easy stuff. It's important stuff. We got to address it as God's people, as the church, head on.